Okay, welcome to um, First John. We are going to finish off chapter one. Um, just as a, a slight re recap of some of the things I've gone over, is to remember that John was writing from a place of privilege. He's writing to us as believers in First John, which, and it's a place where he is expressing that we can also experience the same joy as they they had. And the privilege also that you and I have the written word of God. And of course, the key today is to believe what the Bible teaches. And so therefore, faith is the essential issue that God wants from us. And in this, um, and in this chapter, I'll read, I'll just read the verses we're going to cover. Uh, the last lesson was walk in the light. So come with me down to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. And the Bible says, uh, John says very clearly, he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. So the last, two, the last two words I want you to keep in your mind is the word blood and sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now to keep this in context, I want you to go back to verse 1. And John declares the manifestation of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, God manifests in the flesh. Let's just read that. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifest unto us. Now God sent Jesus Christ, and when John the Baptist introduced Jesus Christ, he called Jesus Christ the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Don't ever divorce from your thinking as a believer why God sent his Son. God sent his Son to be that Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And we read it in, in Hebrews 9 where Jesus himself sacrificed himself to put away sin. So let's not divorce ourselves for the very reason that God was manifest. And I think this is very much important today in, in, in man's thinking because we don't refer back to God's original plan. That's why the Bible says that which was from the beginning. We know that according to Job chapter 38 verse 7, that when God laid the foundations of the earth, all the sons of God shouted for joy, and they are all the heavenly hosts, the angels, the unseen beings, the Lucifer and so forth, that God created as two-part beings that where in heaven you had Satan, who was the anointed cherub, he had an estate, he had a place, then you had the angels that also were ministers in heaven but when Lucifer fell third part of the angels came with him 
And when he fell, in Jude it says that those angels that left their first estate are in chains of darkness, if you want to go to the book of Jude. And here's the point to remember, that God's creation, far as angels are concerned, they're not redeemable. God's system was for them to obey, and as long as they obeyed in the, in the place he put them, everything was fine. And then we come to the garden, and we won't go through the fall of man, but Adam has the crown. Adam and Eve are in fellowship with God. He walks with them in the cool of the day, and you know the story. And then you get till you get to Genesis chapter 3, and then we're going to get to Genesis chapter 4, and we're going to go to Genesis chapter 4. But I also want to, as I go into this lesson, I want you to remind you as believers to keep in mind John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's not forget the fundamental reason and plan of God. So let's come to Genesis. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 4. And I want to show you, as we lead into the last few verses here, a very important lesson which I think you need to keep in mind that why God sent his son. Now, in Genesis chapter 4, the relationship between God and man has changed. And faith is the key here. And now man has to approach the holy living God by also way of sacrifice. And the book of Genesis is the, is the book of first mentioned. And we know that when Adam and Eve fell and they left that garden, they were guilty and they tried to cover up their shame. And God did something where he then killed the animals to take the coats from the animal to cover them. Then we have now the birth of we have the birth of Adam and Adam and Cain. So and Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived bear Cain. It said, I have begotten a man from the Lord, and she again bare his brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering, an offering, um, excuse me, an offering unto, unto the Lord. Abel, on the other hand, brought of the firstlings of his flock, of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. So the relationship between God and man has changed. And now we see there's a, an acceptance of Abel's offering. And we know that it was a lamb and it was slain and it was innocent. But under Cain and to his offering he had no respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. The Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou dost not well, sin life at the door. And here's the point. It wasn't that God rejected Cain as much as God rejected or did not accept the offering of Cain. He accepted the offering of Abel. Because God has a system and a plan where where the angels are not redeemable, but man made in the image of God is redeemable, 
And you've got to understand that the foreknowledge of God does not mess with God's creation. And he did not mess with the free will of man. He gave man a free will. But he also said that man is made in our image. And God's plan is also to redeem or to repurchase, to buy back, knowing that man also would fall and sin entered into the world. So God has a plan. He has a system. And the requirement for sin is sacrifice. You say, well, Brother Simon, why is that? Well, it seems as though what can only cover sin and take care of sin and disobedience, if you want to put it that way, is a sacrifice or blood of the innocent. Cain's offering was of the fruit of the of his labour. You could put it you could put it this way for you who study the Bible. Cain brought his his self righteousness to the Lord. Abel's offering was not his self righteousness, it was a picture of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, which will take away the sin of the world. Faith is the key. In the Old Testament, they knew that by faith they would have to, by faith they would offer, make offerings to God. Come over to Hebrews chapter 9 with me for a moment, Hebrews chapter 9, and we'll read Hebrews 9 and we'll go to, um, let's have a look here, I'll just get it for you. Go to Hebrews 9, we should pick it up and say around verse 23, if you can't, if you can't get to that passage, just let me read it for you for the moment. And Paul here is um, Paul is speaking to the Jewish believers, and he's reminding them something from the Old Testament that you and I as Gentiles really had no part of. But if you were a Jew, you would have understood the system of faith and the offerings that were made. And he says here that, he says here in verse 21, Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remissions. So by faith, when the Israelites made their offerings, God put, God then put their name down like in a ledger, you could say, where Jesus said to the disciples, Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And we know, and as we read here, we're going to talk about the blood of bulls and goats. And they use those things to sanctify the vessels and so forth as we read here. In verse 23, it was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves were better sacrifices than these. So when you looked at the Old Testament, you looked at the tabernacle and the temple, they were patterns of the true things in heaven. And those things were sanctified by, or purified by the, by the blood of bulls and goats, which you read. But in heaven, things themselves were better sacrifices than these. In other words, that the things down here aren't going to be effective in heaven, where there is no sin, where God is holy, where where there is um, where is that place? For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands. So keep this in mind. So Jesus Christ now has died. He was manifested. He was 
without controversy, great is the mystery, God manifests in the flesh, seen of angels, preached and so forth. Jesus Christ now has died, he's buried, he's gone back now into heaven, into the heavenly places. And it's a better sacrifice that he's going to offer. But the heavenly things themselves were better sacrifices than these, for Christ has not entered into holy places made with hands, amen, not with hands, which are the figures of the true, so our message today is truth, the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So now Jesus Christ was manifest, he's died for the sins of the world, we know that. He now is in heaven and he appears now in the presence of God for us. Take your mind back to Abel for a moment. Abel offers a sacrifice and it's accepted. Jesus Christ now is in the holy place and he is appearing before God uh, and not he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. So the high priest would have to do the offerings once a year and more. But when it comes to our God and our Saviour, Jesus Christ offered himself once. For then must he have often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now... Once in the end of the world have he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now I want you to keep in mind, Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. The only way he could take away the sin of the world was to be the sacrifice of himself. Now remember that Jesus' blood is, not, is the Lamb of God. It's God's blood. God said, I have a plan and I'm going to redeem man. I'm going to purchase him. I'm going to buy him back and it's going to take blood. But the blood of bulls and goats and the blood of man won't, can't do only what I can do. And that was by sending his son, if that makes sense to you. To put away sin by the sacrifice himself. And is as it's appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So now Jesus Christ was manifest to put away sin. And this is what John's talking about. This is the plan of God. This is the Lamb of God. Now here, here's what we're going to, this is what I want to show you. And you'll read this in our next chapter. Keep in mind that God accepted Abel's offering. But in heaven, Jesus, Jesus Christ's offering was accepted. But it also appeased the wrath of God, which we'll look at in the next chapter. It was accepted, but it appeased. Appeasement means now there is that that sin payment, that, that offence has been paid for. So it's important to keep these things in, in parameter of understanding First John. So God's system by foreknowledge was to save man by the sacrifice of himself. That was God's plan from the, from the beginning. That was his foreknowledge. And the foreknowledge was that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, which you and I can do now by simply trusting God as our Saviour, because now we have the opportunity to bring the right offering to God, a sacrifice 
which is well-pleasing, but not. But it goes further than that. It now appeases the wrath of God. Now come over to, um, let's come over and have a look at um, 1 Peter with me, 1 Peter. Now I hope you would meditate on some of these verses, 1 Peter with me. Let's come over to 1 Peter. And we're going to go to chapter 3. Now I want to I want to show you something here from the Bible. And I want you to keep in mind that there's a lot of Christian religion around today. And it doesn't preach the truth. And religion is just another way to cover up sin by good works. It's not our works that saves us. It's the works of Jesus Christ. And so in 1 Peter 3, and we'll go down to verse 18, go down to verse 18 in that same chapter, keeping a context, for Christ also had once suffered for sins, God manifests in the flesh, the just for the unjust, that he, now keep that word in mind, he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So our salvation is completely done by the fact that God had a plan to redeem man, and the way he did it was to send his Son from heaven, who stepped down and God manifested in the flesh, called the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world, and there in the garden he sacrificed himself to put away sin. That was God's plan to put away sin and he did that by himself. When you start realising that your Christian life is not based upon your good works, it's based upon the works of Jesus Christ. Amen. And this is the joy that this is the joy that John's talking about. Because he says, because he said, We had from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. The Old Testament knew the Old Testament saints knew about redemption. They understood about sacrifice. They didn't know when or how God was going to do it, but they understood those things. But now we have the New Testament and we can fully see God's plan being fulfilled by the very fact that God has sent his son. And it has been fulfilled because Christ has died and he was buried and he is and he rose again the third day, amen. It's already been it's already been done. So therefore, it's only a matter up for us to now be like Abel and come to God and say, Lord, can you be my saviour and I'll trust what you've done for me and ask you to forgive my sins because I know, I know, Lord, it was your sacrifice that takes care of our sins. And once I do that, God, God then accounts that to our account and it's imputed righteousness because we're right because we now, like Abraham, have believed what God has done or what he has said. So when you come back to when you come back to our, our passage, let's come back now to reading those last couple of verses. Now think with me. But verse seven, if we walk in the light, what light? The light that the fact that God sent his son in the flesh and died for us and was buried and rose again, Amen. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It has nothing to do with our works, but our submission to God's plan to put away sin. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship one with another, 
and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanse of us from sin. Verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I want you to think about Cain for a moment. Cain couldn't humble himself enough to go to Abel to get the right offering. Cain's pride covered his sin. And he couldn't confess he was a sinner. So therefore he brought the wrong offering to a holy God, which was his works. How often do we see people living a good life, believing that their good life is somehow going to save them, where in fact they ignore the fact that they brought the wrong sacrifice to God, who's holy, where they need the right sacrifice and they just need to humble themselves and go to Abel to get the right sacrifice. You know how easy it is to be saved? Just ask God to save you, because he already has. And that offering has already been made. And say, Lord, I'm going to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and nothing else. And what a great blessing that is, that we can trust the Lord, amen. We can trust him for our salvation, because the Bible says it. But if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Have you ever noticed that, in biblically, religion, deception and religion go hand in hand? Where the Bible is very clear and open that deception only covers our sin and religion somehow appeases it. But the Bible never, never teaches it that way. The only thing that appeases God and our sin was the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. How can God forgive us if we can't confess that we are sinners? And we know that we have sinned. Too often in the Christian circles, I see too many people worried about other people's sins. What's this brother done? What's this sister done? No brother or sister. It's nothing to do with the other brother or sister. It's to do with us, what we have done, and we have to be confessed that we are sinners as well. Amen? That's why he came. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Think about that. His word is not in us. I'm going to close with this thought for you. When Jesus Christ was here, who, who did he preach hardest against? They were the Pharisees. Because they had an outward appearance. And they didn't have an inward appearance. And their outward appearance covered the true nature of what, what, what was in. As only God can see what is in, amen. Where the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing even, even to the thoughts and tender of the heart. In other words, that when Jesus Christ, he was, he was preaching to what he called inside the Pharisees dead men's bones, they were dead inwardly. Why? Because the word of God did not have any effect in them because they had covered up their sin by their appearance and their religion. And they had deceived themselves where they should have seen the Son of God by faith 
and no one had understood like others that he was the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. So think about that. Amen. What a blessing we have to have the Bible. I do really believe in my heart that today people don't believe the Bible. They don't believe what it says. I encourage you to believe what the Bible teaches, not what you heard some preacher say, not what your church teaches, not how you feel about something. And don't ever be deceived by the fact that you think you're not a sinner when the Bible clearly shows that we are sinners. And that was the very reason that God sent his son. Amen. So we're going to, we're going to finish there and then we're going to go into John chapter 2 and we're going to cover um, more of the idea about the propitiation of sin and how God has saved the world. And I pray and hope that these little lessons can be a somewhat a blessing to you. I hope that they can help you to navigate through the scriptures and see what, God, what, what it means by God's plan and how he sent his son. So we will stop there and we will pick this up soon. Thank you.